My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. The crowd asked John the Baptist, What should we do? He said to them in reply, Whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none, and whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He answered them, Stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked them, And what is it that we should do? He told them, Do not practice extortion. Do not falsely accuse anyone. And be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. Let me tell you how the devil tempted me and got into my head on Friday. He did it via email, if you can believe that. There was I minding my own business, going through 45 unread messages in my inbox, and there was this one from Zillow. For those of you who don't know, Zillow is a real estate site that I don't know how I got on their site or ever signed up for an email notification or that they would know the exact place in Wildwood Crest that would be considered one of my favorite places. Almost every year since I can remember from growing up, we went down there, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, and my immediate family for our family vacation. And then for over two decades, my parents, after working hard and putting my brothers and me through college, were able to fulfill their dream and they had a place down there. After my father passed away about seven years ago, my mom sold it. And while we've gone down a few times for a week or so since, it's been not as easy to rent as we had hoped for. So Friday, Zillow sends me this email about a house for sale. And it was beautiful. Five bedrooms, six bathroom, beachfront. It's only selling for about $3 million. I mean, seriously, Satan himself had to have sent this to me. Because there's no way in hell, literally, that I could ever even rent this place for a week. Why am I getting this? But there I end up looking at pictures and fantasizing about what if, imagining how awesome that would be, how exciting. Then I happen to be at the store that night, and I see the Powerball lotto is up to $300 million. 
So now I'm buying a ticket and I'm getting excited. Maybe this will be God's special Christmas gift for me and my family. Sorry to share with those waiting for some Hallmark Christmas movie story ending here. Father Jim did not win the lotto, is not getting a house down the shore. But don't cue the violins. (laughs) Honestly, the whole thing was silly and it was a waste of time for me. Not that the shore house is like some pentagram or some evil thing in itself, but that I found myself fantasizing and imagining that this thing, these things, would bring me happiness, would make me happy, would be a cause for me to rejoice, was silly and could become a source of evil. Don't get me wrong, if I had the right numbers, I'd imagine you would hear me rejoicing miles away from the second floor of the Newman Center. Buying a house down the shore would have been a happy thing that I know I would have loved to have shared with my family and friends. But the reality is it's a transitory thing. It would only bring happiness for a period of time. That thing eventually puts you on the road to desiring more and more things, thinking that somehow this wasn't enough. This isn't perfect. All of a sudden, Wildwood would be too far of a drive. I mean, it's two and a half hours and a good day without traffic, which never happens in New Jersey. Maybe I could get a helicopter ride. I mean, it was a $300 million prize, which after taxes would have been about $100 million, but I digress. Or maybe I'd learn of some other place, some other shore that I've never gone to that's closer that I'd rather own a place there. And then I'm worrying about when can I get down there? And now I'm longing for vacation time. Imagining that that's where I'd rather be rather than here where I am now, recognizing I have more than I ever could want or need here and now. As I threw my ticket away and frustrated for the moment when I realized I didn't even have one easily number on it, I kind of laughed asking, why do so many of us keep looking around the world for any reason to rejoice? Because if it's not a powerful and a house down the shore for my beloved students. It's straight A's on their classes for the semester, or perhaps a little bit lower than that. Their expectations are a little bit lower than that, that they just pass everything and maybe get a B or a C. Or maybe for us, it's that we never hear another word about COVID or that the economy would be settled or that our families were, and you can fill in the blanks yourselves, Not to diminish or dismiss any of those things as as unworthy of pursuing or categorizing them as somehow evil, but we seem to think that the absence of bad things in our life, the attainment of pleasurable things, automatically causes us to rejoice. Yet human nature seems to prove time and again that's not the case. The present worries and concerns Those things passing often does bring some relief, but there's always another semester. There's probably another pandemic at some point. The economy, I really understand, it constantly goes up and down. And when we're honest about those things, when we recognize that the things of this world are fleeting, that the pleasure that comes from attaining them is transitory, we find that longing and those desires within looking for fulfillment are still there. And that's when we find ourselves in company with the crowds in today's gospel. 
These crowds, if you evaluate them on earthly terms, are like many of us. They're okay. They're, they're comfortable. They have the basics and probably then some a little bit more. They have homes. They have food. They have clothing. The tax collectors have more than that. They have wealth. The soldiers, they have power and authority. But what is it that they all have in common? Every one of them is unfulfilled. The crowds think they will be fulfilled if they had the wealth of the tax collectors. The tax collectors think they'll be happy if they had the respect and authority and the power that the soldiers had. And the soldiers think that if they had the wealth and the acceptance of the crowds, they would be able to rejoice. All of them find themselves in, of all places, the desert, listening to this man who is poor, smelly, dirty, whose life consists of fasting and prayer. And they're drawn to him because as empty as he is of any and everything that one could imagine are the basics in the world, they see he's at peace with himself, that he's fulfilled. He's rejoicing. Why is that? We heard the answer to that last week in the gospel. The word of God had come to him. The human heart, which was created by God for God, ultimately wants God. And so they want what he has. And so they ask, what are we to do? How do we settle this restlessness that continues even when we are able to attain things or positions or power? How do we experience not just fleeting happiness that comes and goes, but joy, which is something deeper that continues even when the world around us continues to be broken and unjust and unfair? What are we to do, they ask. And that's an important question for us to ask as well because it recognizes that we have to do something. If we want to experience Emmanuel, God with us, if we want his kingdom ushered in, that demands a movement that requires an active response. We can't simply cast a vote saying, yeah, I'm for that, and expect that it will happen because someone somewhere out there is just gonna take care of it for us. God created us with way too much love and respect. He created us with that freedom to choose to respond or even shockingly to reject them. But hopefully the fact we're here already reveals that on some point that we are with those crowds asking John the Baptist, what are we to do? And when we listen to his responses, there's something very shockingly ordinary about it. He's not calling us to get even with the oppressors or suggesting some counteroffensive or anything offensive for that matter. He's not even radically saying you have to do exactly what I'm doing. Go out and live in the desert, live on locusts and honey. No, he's ordering things that seem basic, common sense, common decency. Share with those who go without. Act justly. Be humble. He's calling us to strengthen our virtues, to pursue a good life. The things that call us out of ourselves, out of our self-centeredness, out of our indifference 
to the hurts and the worries and the fears of those around us. That's when we start to respond with mercy. As Pope Francis once beautifully said, a little bit of mercy makes the world a little less cold and a little more just. When each of us do that, when we start to to choose to be vulnerable over isolated and stop deluding ourselves that my acquiring things somehow makes me safe and secure, when we choose friendship with God over distrust over every stranger we meet, that's when we start to see the face of Christ. We see him in the poor, in the sick, in the suffering, in the imprisoned, in the lonely. That's when we understand John's answers to that question, what are we to do? Because the thing that John the Baptist knows, what makes him so confident in his proclamation and sure in his conviction, is that Jesus Christ is right there in his midst. Most likely, Jesus was right there in that crowd as John was preaching to them. So John's probably looking at his cousin Jesus as he says with a wink, someone mightier than I is coming. But for the rest of the crowd, they need a reordering of their priorities. They need help to learn how to see him. For us, we're in on that news. We know that Jesus Christ is that mightier one who has come. With that, these Advent readings, the historical aspect of that revelation is in the past. Yet the word of God is alive and active. And the gospel is proclaimed anew. And it comes to us here and now. Finding ourselves very similar to these crowds who find themselves restless unsettled, unfulfilled in our everyday lives, tempted by things and voices of this world looking for those things to be satisfied. This third Sunday of Advent, the church through these scriptures tells us simply to rejoice. All that we need, all that we desire is found here in Jesus. He's in our midst. May we repent of the sins by going to confession so we can remove those things that have been obstacles to him and for us to have an encounter with him. And may we put our energies in doing for others rather than pursuing for ourselves so that we can truly encounter Jesus ourselves.